95% of our campus not here today. They are in Cincinnati uh, with the International Campus uh, Ministry Conference. So that's uh, we have a little section there gone, and um, but you know whatever you know we don't need them. So, uh, but I, I am excited. Uh, I should have done this last week, but I'll do it today. Uh, we uh, you know we had a number of people move out. One person I uh, missed about moving in. Uh, Thomas Obenhaus has moved back to the Northwest. Amen. Amen. Tom is. Uh, he, I'll just say he's an awesome guy. Uh, man's man, nice and rugged. Take him out to Alaska anytime, amen. But uh, he went on the Oklahoma City uh, planting or replanting encouragement, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he has been up there now for the last couple years. Uh, but you know, when, once you're a Texan, you know you got that hook in you, and uh, you know uh, the Oklahoma boy had to come back to Texas. So. Uh, it's uh, great having them back here. So if you're from Oklahoma, I'm sorry. Amen. <laughs> so last week, um, I dived into uh, what we call a section of the Bible, and it was about, um, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And, you know, there's that discussion. What's the greatest commandment? The lawyer, um, you know, how do, how do I have eternal life? Uh, and we, we had this discussion, and it was to the point where at the end of uh, these illustrations in the Synoptic Gospels, uh, it says no one dare ask him any more questions. And so I struggled with that, and I shared that with many of you. Uh, some of you weren't here. Uh, you can go back and, and listen to the tape or just trust me uh, that uh, they didn't dare ask him any more questions. And so what I want to do is what I want to do is I want to pick it up kind of where we left off and really look at the rest of the story. Because I believe that there was more to just that illustration of the Old Testament and Second Chronicles helping the lawyer really understand what God was saying. Because I think we didn't really dive into, well, what is the greatest commandment? So let's pick it up here in Luke chapter 10, in verse 25. And this is a continuation of a new deeper look at the Good Samaritan. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 25... It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And then we know the next verse, in verse 29, it says, but desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So he tells the good Samaritan of the story. And last week, what I did is that I pulled in not only the story of the good Samaritan, but then I looked back at the history of Israel, and we looked at a story in Second Chronicles chapter 28, uh, 5 through 15, is that when the Israelites basically were um, devastated, um, and these uh, northern, um, the Samaritans, the northern Israelites, basically some of their leaders stood up and said, this is wrong. you got to take care of these people, send them back to Judah and Israel, and they did. And there's a correlation between the two. And again, go back, you can study it out. Uh, it's kind of shocking when you read it. But it's a story. It's a nation of Israel, the people of God, both the kings, the armies of Israel and Judah, the priest, the Levite, they weren't being a light to the world. 
And at the end of the day, the lawyer was humbled. The lawyer was convicted, and he got it. He started understanding. And he agreed with Jesus that the history of their people and even the story of this Levite and the priest wasn't what God's people should be doing. You want to have eternal life? You want to know what the greatest commandment is? And this is where I think the second kind of dropping the mic is in this whole story. He gives the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's two concepts here that Jesus hits in this greatest commandment. One is loving the Lord your God, is understanding seeing God as the only fountain of true and lasting joy. When Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, Jesus is saying is that the only fountain of true joy, the only hope of true everlasting joy is in God, to love God. And to love your neighbor as yourself is seeing people, other people, your neighbors, designated, designed by God as reciprocants of our joy in him. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at those two concepts. We're going to study those out. You shall love the Lord your God, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So let's talk about loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. What does it mean to love the Lord with everything? Basically, again, God's it. There's nothing else. There's a scripture in 1 John. (coughs) It's fascinating that, in my mind, everything's fascinating. Um, I can walk around and go pray. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, And and it's probably very boring. But to me, it's fascinating. Um, So, John does not have the story of the greatest commandment in it. But I believe John's writing does the most illustration of the greatest commandment. In the book of John and his epistles, he dives into what is the greatest commandment and the second it like itself. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. He says, we know this, or we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, last week we talked about in the Israelites, they had 613 commands in the Jewish law. And now we're understanding if you want to show God you love him, you got to obey his commands, and they're not burdensome. When I first became a disciple, I thought a lot about this. Oh, my gosh. You, if you want to show God you love him, you got to obey his commands. And like, oh, it's a burden. It's too much. I can't handle this. And I think it comes down to a question. Is God good or is God not good? If God is not good, then he's capricious, demanding, 
and all of the actions of obedience are for him. If God is good, then the actions that he's calling us in obedience is for the good of me. For instance, let's say God says, don't touch the hot stove. And if God is not good, then that means God is demanding me not to touch the hot stove is because it's his rules, it's for him, and he doesn't want me to touch the hot stove. Well, in my nature, if I know God is not good, and it's just a bunch of his rules, what's my nature going to want to do? It's going to want to touch the hot stove. Now, if God is good, and he demands, he calls me, don't touch the hot stove, because I'm good, and I love you, and I care for you, and I'm protecting you from yourself. And if I understand that, oh, God doesn't want me to touch the hot stove because it's for my good. Now, the funny thing about it is I probably still will touch it. But then I'll start realizing that, oh, wow, God was trying to protect me from myself. You know, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Again, John hits this concept of God is love over and over and over again. God's commands, all his commands are there to protect us for our good. So when he says, you want to love me, obey my commands. So let me ask you this question. What do you think is the most repeated command in the Bible? Now, it's for your good. But what's the most repeated command in the Bible? Do you know it's not prohibition or warnings? Do you know the most commands in the Bible are not about sex, power, or money? The most repeated commands in the Bible are to acknowledge God, to be thankful, to be grateful, to appreciate. In different ways, to praise the Lord, to don't be afraid, to rejoice, give thanks are all commands, in essence, to understand and appreciate the relationship we have with God, our Father. God is love. God loves us. God wants us to experience a relationship of joy with him now. Our Father in heaven, and not only in heaven for eternity, but right now. So he commands us to... Praise him. Now think about this for a second. You know, it doesn't mean that the most repeated commands are necessarily the most important commands. We know from Jesus that the most important command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But the most repeated commands help us recognize how to fulfill the most important command. Bears repeating. 
God's most repeated commands are means of obeying the most important command. There's a direct correlation. If God says repeatedly, do this, repeatedly do this, repeatedly do this, he's actually trying at the end of the day to understand this. Praise him. Praise the Lord. You know, in the Bible, it says over 500 times to praise the Lord. When God commands us to praise him, what does he want? Does God need our praise? Now, when I ask Patty to praise me, yes, I need that praise. I'm insecure. I need, tell me I'm doing something right. Praise me. Does God need our praise? No, he doesn't. He's commanding us to look at him. Through what he's revealed to us about himself. Until we start understanding aspects of his glory. That transcends the pulpery and the corrupt things that clamor for our attention. And produces all-filled joy. We can't help but express praise. You know, I'll go out every morning and I'll, I'll go pray and I'll go walk down to the lake and I hear birds, I see trees, I see jets, I see the blue sky, I see the lake, I feel the pleasant breeze. I just see the, oh, this is awesome. Is this, this, this didn't come from nothing. Praise God. Praise God for this little forest. Praise God for that animal. Praise God for the ability to walk. Praise God for this body that still works. Praise God for, I was able to have breakfast this morning. Praise the Lord. Who's the praise for? It's for us. Because we're not looking at ourselves, we're understanding and looking at God. You know, the next command, that's over a hundred times in the Bible, it says, do not fear. You know when God commands us not to be afraid. What does he want? He wants us to meditate on him. So we can, so we, so on him, so we experience the paralyzing effects of fear melting away and seeing our courage rise. When he calls us not to fear, stealing the joy that God wants us to have, will I have enough money? How will my health be? Will he love me? Will she love me? Will he obey? Will he not obey? Well, whatever we fear, we're fearful about, it steals our joy. It steals our hope. And God says, don't fear. How about rejoicing? You know, almost 200 times, probably over 200 times, God commands us to rejoice. So what does he want? Why is it good for us to rejoice? He wants us to remember that no matter what happens, nothing will separate us from his love. That he will work on all these things that are going on in our lives for the good of those who love him. And he will rescue us from every evil deed and bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. Rejoice. And then lastly, over a hundred times, to give thanks. 
not just at dinner or breakfast, but to give thanks. When God commands us to give thanks, what does he want? God wants us to look past the things that frustrate us, that anger us, disappoint, discourage, sadden, depress us, depress us. And he wants to see his grace. He wants us to understand the love that flows to us right now. To see and understand, to trust his loving kindness. And to replace that, the negative, the the sinful emotions, the grumbling. And to replace it with the peace that he wants us to have. Give thanks. Give thanks. So he says... Praise him. Do not fear. Rejoice. Give thanks. That's what God wants. Faith-filled obedience leads us to a loving God. You know, David understood this. No, I'm sorry. i got to stay over here. They have commanded me. I can only go a few feet on each side (laughs) because this is a camera. Does this make me look fat? I mean... (laughs) Is this okay? So I'll make sure my tie is a little bit farther down next time. So David understood this. You know, in Psalm chapter 19, in verse 11, David breaks out in this love song of sorts about God's commands. And this is what he's saying about God's commands, his his precepts. He says the law or the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commands of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than pure gold, or than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping there there is great, or keeping them there is great reward. You know, I love this. It says the commands of the Lord are more to be desired than gold. Because they make us happier than gold. And in keeping them, there is far greater reward than what finances can bring. And I love this scripture because David is talking about God's commands, God's precepts, and how awesome they are. And when you understand what God is trying to do with his commands, David just breaks out in a song. And and he says, there's so much, they're so awesome, they're better than finances, and they're better than dessert. You know, about 30, 40 years ago, my stepfather, Fouad, gave me this ring. He had it crafted in Egypt. He was Egyptian. And this is a... Don't be jumping on that ring. And this ring is probably about as pure as you can get before it starts bending really bad. And it's crafted. There's a little diamond in there. And it's probably worth something. 
Now, I like this ring because it's a memento. It's a memory of my stepfather. But this gold brings me no joy. It brings me no joy. It's, it's a memory. But it means the gold means nothing to me. I love reading the Bible. I love understanding what God's trying to teach me. I, I, I just dive into this, and I'm like, oh, what I'm learning about myself and my character and, and how to be a better husband and father and friend and, and how I can understand how much God loves me and how through the course of history, he's trying to teach us about him. I prefer that so much better. Now, the honey, dessert, that's more of a struggle. Because I like dessert. But at the end of the day, dessert is so temporary. The sweetness is gone in literally seconds. To the point where you even have to drink water because it's too sweet. And at the end of the day, God's word is so much more precious. Teaching, protecting, refining enduring. It's why the Bible is filled with repeated commands to praise him and not to fear and to always rejoice and to always give thanks. And every other command that he gives pertain to us, to help us know him. He wants to rejoice in us. He wants us to know and rejoice and understand him. The only true fountain and lasting joy. And he wants us to do it with all of our heart, understanding, soul, strength, and mind. God deeply wants a relationship with us. And so he says, you want to you have eternal life? You want to know what the greatest commandment is? Love me. Love me. Love me with everything you are and have. And when you love me, you'll understand the source of true, love, true joy. But then again, he throws that curveball in there. And we've talked about this many times. Because if you really, you know, you claim you love God, but if you claim you love God, that means you got to really work it with the person sitting next to you, with the person who lives across the street from you, for the person who hits you in their car, or you hit them in your car, <laughs> or the person you whatever with. Now you're going to show if you really do love God. Someone who doesn't look like you. Someone that has, doesn't have your finances or your education or more or less. I don't care. Your neighbor. And the second thing, now the second point then is that Jesus says, you got to love your neighbor. But then he throws in this as yourself. And what Jesus is saying here is in effect, I'm going to start with your inborn, deep, defining human trait of self-love. 
You love yourself. This is a given. I didn't command you to do it. Jesus says, I assume you have it. All of us have this powerful instinct of self-preservation and self-fulfillment. We all want to be happy. We all want to live and live with satisfaction. We want food for ourselves, clothes, a place to live. We want protection from violence. We want a meaningful, pleasant activity to fill our days. We want some friends to like us and spend time with us. We want our life to count in some way. This is all self-love. And self-love is the deep longing to diminish pain and increase happiness. And that's what Jesus starts with when he says, as yourself. Jesus knows that God created us. He created us, and, G- and God said it's very good. You know, it's not evil or not sin to have self-love. But he commands us to love others as you love yourself. As you love yourself, so love your neighbor. Jesus is saying here, make your self-seeking the measure of your self-giving. As you seek for yourself, whatever measure you use, that is the measure you use with everybody else. As you long for food when you're hungry, so long to feed your neighbor when he's hungry. As you long for nice clothes for yourself, so long for nice clothes for your neighbor. As you work for a comfortable place to live, so desire a comfortable place for your neighbor to live. As you seek to be safe and secure from calamity and violence, So seek comfort and security for your neighbor. As you seek friends for yourself, so be a friend to your neighbor. As you want life, your life, to count and be significant, so desire that same significance for your neighbor. As you work to make good grades for yourself, so work to help your neighbor make good grades. As you like to be welcome into strange company, so welcome your neighbor into strange company. As you would have men do to you, do also to them. You know, one of the biggest things that I would say Patty and I had to work on, and it, I oversimplify it, but it's, it's um, being oversensitive versus insensitive. I was insensitive. I know that shocks you. (laughs) And Patty was oversensitive. But you know, my sensitivity came out in respect. And again, I love the Bible. For me, I always had this respect thing. 
Because I was raised up into a pack of family that was completely disrespectful. Completely disrespectful. And I'm not going to get into the nuances. But respect for me was huge. Huge. If I would ever get into a fight with Patty and she rolled her eyes, shrugged her shoulders, sighed. Any kind of facial, verbal communication that I would feel disrespect, boom. It just, it just, the whole argument changed. Because, see, I was overly sensitive to disrespect. Then I became a disciple. And then I'm like, how am I going to be so, well, actually, then, you know, I became a disciple and married Patty. And then, like, how can I demand her to respect me, but I don't respect her? Or I don't love her, but I don't, I don't give her what she needs? I'm, I'm wanting her to treat me a certain way, but I'm not going to do that back to her or brothers? And so for me, it's like I'm, I'm hypersensitive when I talk to other men because I know men... And respect is a big thing. And so when I talk to another man, now I tease. But people know I'm teasing. But when I talk to other men, I go over my overboard to respect. I want them to know they're respected. Even when they're being stupid. <laughs> now, it's, there's, that's two different things. I mean, you can, you can be stupid... But just as long as you respect me. If you respect me, then maybe I can repent and I can become what God wants me to be. But if you don't respect me, how about love? My wife needs love. She wants me to love her the way she needs to be loved, not the way I want to love her. You know, I knew this guy, a father, had three girls, and he loved his daughters, but he had a real weird way to show it. He would sit there, he wanted a disciple, and he'd be watching the game and, boop, put his hand up. And that was the signal for the girls immediately to jump and run to go get a beer for their father. And if they didn't, that's a weird kind of way to show love. You know, again, John dives into love. Love for one another. Love for your neighbor. And in 1 John chapter 4, in verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For, God, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now we just read verse 8. Let's keep on reading. This is how God shows his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. John, again, dives into the, the, the greatest commandment. You know, I want to live for, for, for eternity. 
I do. I, this, is, this is not it. I want to live for eternity. I, I do want to know what the greatest commandment is. And I get the loving God with all my heart and soul, strength, and mind. But the loving others as myself, that's more of a challenge because, see, that's, that's here and now. That's flesh and blood. You know, and the challenge for me is that I want to love you as a older, educated, middle-class, white, somewhat sensitive man that was raised in dysfunction, brokenness, three different dads, mom going through multiple marriages, Oh, and my health and my own issues and family. And I want to love you that way. But see, Jesus doesn't call me to do it that way. Jesus calls me to love you where you're at. If I want people to love me, I want people to get to know me. Who am I? What am I going through? What am I feeling? What are my, what are my, what are my fears? What are my hurts? What are my whatever? That's loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, when I first got baptized in the church many years ago, I didn't have any kids then. But you know what we would do in fellowship? We would literally sit there. And we'd grab someone and we'd sit in the pews and we would talk like 15 or 20 minutes. Where are you from? How did you get to Chicago? Why are you doing what you're doing? Your family, your brothers and sisters, your, and, and, and just spent time to get to know the other. I still remember that. Taking the time to get to know the other. Loving my neighbor as I want to be loved. You know, at the end of the day, the lawyer, listening to the story of the Samaritan, remembering his own people's history, and then just being confronted with, I want to go to heaven. I do want to do what's right. And I'm supposed to love God with all my heart. Our people are supposed to love each other as, as ourselves. You're right, Jesus. And again, it's so powerful because look what Jesus says to the guy after he just starts putting it all together and how his people have failed, but how God wants all of us to succeed. Look at Matthew chapter 12, and we'll finish here as we take the Lord's communion. In verse 32, it says, Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dare ask him any more questions. You know, my hope here this morning as we take communion 
that we'll take the time to praise him, to glorify him, to not to fear, to have the heart and the mentality that we're going to give thanks because we want to understand God and we want to glory in our true joy. And at the same time, then we're going to, have to, we're going to learn how to love other people. People who are different. People who are deserving of God's love, deserving of our love. And the standard we're going to use is the standard we use for ourselves. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father God, we come to you now this time humbled and grateful for your love. Father, we pray that, like the lawyer, each one of us can understand what we need to be to have eternal life. Father, to do it your way, not our way. Help us to love, Father. Help us to love you, to know you. And Father, help us to love those who are around us and to love them, Father, as we love ourselves and as we learn how to love you. We're grateful and we're thankful. And it's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.